World Korea Insights. We are united in our responsibility to create healthier futures. Follow us at worldkorea.com forward slash podcast. Welcome to the first World Courier Insights podcast. I'm Mike Iorfino, Manager of External Communications at Amerisource Bergen, and your host for this exciting new podcast series, where we will explore the latest industry news and trends across the pharmaceutical logistics sector. In each episode, we'll speak with industry leaders and World Courier experts about the latest industry news, including emerging trends and challenges and innovative solutions that are moving pharma logistics forward. Today, we'll speak with Jens Machuska, World Courier's Regional Vice President of Nordics, Central, and Eastern Europe. Jens, welcome to the podcast and thanks for being our first guest. Before we dive in, can you please introduce yourself and share more about your role at World Courier? Hi, Mike. Yeah, indeed, the Regional Vice President for Half of Europe is my role. I'm in charge of 21 countries for the company. And basically what we're doing is we manage the medicine, transportation, and storage across Europe and, of course, also around the globe. Thanks, Jens. Given your role leading operations in those markets, you certainly have a unique vantage point for how the pandemic has affected the pharmaceutical industry and the global supply chain. We've seen the recent increase in COVID cases due to Omicron variant has certainly dominated headlines in the last few months. How has this surge affected the pharmaceutical logistics sector? Oh, Mike, quite extensively. So Omicron is really very contagious to what we have seen before. It has now affected a lot of people. Where at the beginning of the, let's say, pandemic, which you all experienced too, we have seen a couple of challenges already. But the latest developments, I would say, in the Nordic winter period, so the Northern Hemisphere, quite extensively. Um, and I just want to give you a couple of uh, examples for that. So um, staff shortages, uh, where we have been the last two years working really on skeleton teams. The last couple of months, it was even evolving in the entire industry, definitely. That's why the critical infrastructure was mainly impacted. I mean, just think about what happened also in hospitals, etc. how many people have been uh, out sick for quite some time or in quarantine. And what we have seen on the transport side is even a higher need to ship medicine and even with less available resources, but still keeping the necessary timelines. And you mentioned the transport side, and certainly one area that we've seen a pretty significant impact is related to air freight. How has the pandemic affected capacity and even costs? Heavily, Mike. Um, Just think about what you also see as a normal passenger, how many flights have been delayed or even cancelled over the last two years. So the global logistics is heavily impacted by this. If you look back in the year 20 or the 2021, they have been extremely demanding in this regard. And this will continue in 22. i just give you a stats or a number. Pre the COVID level of you know air traffic, be it cargo or passenger flights, we have seen that we have in the meantime an increase of air freight costs by roughly 35%. And this is what I've seen lately also continuing very much in this calendar year. And this is basically because many planes have been grounded because of the pandemic. So that's why we expect air capacity to remain constrained for at least the next 18 to 24 months. Just think about the fuel and energy costs, um, which you all pay currently on your side. The same applies to jet fuel. Um, no question about this one. And energy prices are not going down the next few months either. Also, geopolitical situation is proving that. And there's also, of course, I would say, more demand for specialized 
type of uh, cold chain handling. Yes, there's a lot of vaccine business right now, which we see, but at the same time, and I can talk a bit later if you like, also about other trends here. And this is mainly related to the average capacity. So that's why as a consequence, long haul transports in particular need even more time to plan and to optimize the routing simply because of the limits we see on the sky. And my honest recommendation is to anyone who needs a logistics supplier like us, engage as early as possible to mitigate the impact and have enough time to ship your products to the final destination. When we're talking about pharmaceutical logistics, we're talking about the shipment of medication and products that patients around the world rely on, and they need these treatments to arrive on time and in the right condition. You mentioned the long-haul transports as kind of one route. What have you seen across the industry to overcome some of these infrastructure challenges and even limited air freight capacity? I like the question, actually. What I would say is we see now a tremendous collaboration among the government agencies, the pharmaceutical manufacturers, and supply chain partners. Just to give you an example on the government agencies in the past, they were, let's say, much more strict or less flexible, so to say, in approving certain type of new disruptive ways of distribution. And that worked perfectly since the pandemic outbreak. One example I can really make is uh, we are transporting in Norway across the country uh, the vaccines, and we are working there very, very closely with the National Institute of Health. They have been extremely flexible and very disruptive in finding solutions. And likewise, on our side, we can say this. And I have heard this also from other partners and competitors in the industry. Because the, the ultimate goal for each of us was in the logistics industry is that we still enable a safe and secure distribution of the products. And what was very much in focus was, of course, vaccines the last two years. And this continues at the moment, of course. But the same applies to other very critical medicine. And you mentioned the collaboration with the NIPH. I'm just wondering if you could give an example, a high-level example of what the conversations with the NIPH has been like in preparing for the rollout of the COVID vaccine, knowing it is such an unprecedented effort. What we did uh, with these colleagues, actually over years and even prior to the pandemic, we developed a certain concept how to distribute uh, the vaccines across the country and the way we are doing this is on an annual basis, we are performing a so-called mock run, uh, reaching all the destinations. And just to make this more practical and not only a theoretical exercise, what we are going to do is, since a couple of years now, is we are distributing the normal flu vaccines. And by this, we can test or we could test uh, in the past any kind of, let's say, supply chain gaps or challenges. And uh, once the pandemic outbreak started and the first vaccines were available, we could exactly follow the protocol which we have developed. And that's why it was really a very successful uh, type of distribution across the country, no matter what kind of temperature or weather conditions we had. That's excellent. And certainly speaks to the collaboration we've seen throughout the pandemic. I guess to that point, what are some of the best practices or lessons learned beyond just that increased collaboration that we can actually take away from the last two years and implement moving forward? couple of things, uh, you know, coming in my mind. First one is, of course, early engagement, like I made the example with these pre-pandemic type of uh, mock runs as an example. So early onwards, uh, planning for such a situation, that's uh, most important. And the same applies also, in, in, let's say, under normal conditions for new products to be launched, etc. We also see that the global globalization had an effect on the supply chains overall. 
That's why it's increasingly important to work with partners which have the broad geographic footprint, who have the global distribution capabilities, but at the same time also who have the capabilities to establish a local network for the final mile, because that's typically done on a domestic side. Another one, uh, which I believe is quite important here is pharmaceutical partners should really seek for long-term partnership because every new product has its own type of complexity. And then to reduce that, uh, you have to navigate pertinent challenges, evolving regulatory requirements, limitations into that. Especially in the pandemic situation, we have seen how fragile this supply chain can be. We, for instance, in our industry, in the pharmaceutical industry, we have seen that manufacturing was fairly concentrated on specific regions in the world. API production, for instance, happened very much in the Asia region. That by itself created a lot of challenges just to deliver, for instance, because of airfield capacities, but also in those countries, people have been on lockdown just to deliver the APIs for the final production of vaccines. We see already some first trend lines and that manufacturers are starting to recognize that and also to start to localize their production. The last one I just want to mention is a big trend, uh, the personalized medicine. And here we can definitely see that there's more specific needs per each type of treatment for patients. And that by itself means also, let's see, closer production or manufacturing where the patient's population is. And Jens, you mentioned the globalization, and I think, you know, we've seen pretty uneven vaccination rates across the world. As you mentioned, there's conversations about manufacturers even starting to build facilities in countries worldwide to help improve that. But in the meantime, what are some of the considerations needed, particularly around last mile delivery in countries where there may not be that cold chain infrastructure? What advice and what value can a logistics partner provide in those situations? Good question, actually. First of all, sit as soon as possible on the table when you're planning your future distribution, working extensively on, uh, let's see, various scenarios just to maintain the supply chain overall. Supply chain can be very complex in many ways. I mentioned earlier this kind of localization or regionalized type of approach that by itself probably needs other suppliers to be qualified, to be engaged, etc. Jens, you mentioned some of the great collaboration that we've seen across the pandemic. Moving forward, what trends do you anticipate and what specific areas do you expect pharmaceutical companies to invest in in 2022? We have seen that COVID has changed many ways of, of thinking. And so also Biopharma has, has learned from this. When you look back to, uh, let's say, uh, the year of the outbreak, the drug development was really disrupted in many ways. In particular, when we are talking about the vaccines here again, it was a successful year of developing them. 21 was then very much dominated by vaccine production and upscaling of it and massive distribution overall. And the pharma industry then reacted, of course, in parallel also in developing new type of therapies as well, in, in addition to vaccines. Well, we have seen already first approved antiviral medication. These antiviral medication, of course, have different, let's say, logistics requirements. Drastically, we can say they reduce on one hand side the severe progression of a COVID infection, but they also drastically have lower requirements in terms of storage and distribution. So that's just an example of what happened in the biopharma industry. But what I can also add to that is 
much more kind of general trends we see right now. And this is a more digitalization because, um, you know, as a pharma company, you need to interact at the end of the day, finally with your patients. And since one other trend is depersonalized medicine overall, there is a high demand in getting the patient more engaged and more connected to the company itself. The other thing is for sure a new type of focus in terms of drug development. Despite, of course, COVID vaccines and therapies, there is now again, and it's now upscaling again, I see more clinical trials now starting in the CNS and the oncology environment overall. And this is, by the way, also proven by industry data. So I just read recently a report from Global Data, which is called the State of the Biopharmaceutical Industry. And they are also mirroring what I'm seeing here right now. Another one is, and I certainly believe this is a game changer overall for further developments, let's say of future modern medicine is the success of this mRNA technology. The technology existed for, I believe, 30 years, but lately with the great success of uh, the BioNTech, Pfizer and the Moderna, we have seen that, you know, this is just an accelerator for other indications, mainly in the oncology spectrum. I have seen clinical trials, by the way, in the past in phase one and phase two on the oncology sector as well. But now there's much more hope into that because there's more money into those developments and also more, let's say, experience based on the rollout of these first vaccines on COVID itself. And wouldn't be also not all happy if we find more vaccines to prevent any kind of certain cancer, as an example. And two more I would just call out here, um, because I would definitely say this is a not only a focus of the biopharm industry, but definitely also, uh, let's say, a challenge for the supply chain industry then, supporting that. Medication will be more and more personalized. Another term is also called precision. It's also called precision medicine. And that requires disruptive solutions and from a logistics perspective. Just to make you this very simple example, cell and gene therapies or direct to patient, but let's focus on cell and gene therapies. The patient is now part of the supply chain. Uh, typically, a logistics provider, for instance, distributes maximum to the pharmacy, not direct to a patient. We do this to hospitals. Now we have to do this in a complete new setting. We might even have to communicate with the patient directly. Of course, our, under GDPR requirements, um, but this kind of patient remote management and monitoring is a new, but also super interesting logistics topic for us. Yeah, you mentioned some of the promising new therapies that are in development, specifically cell and gene therapies. And with those therapies, a growing percentage of those products require cold chain storage and transportation, which obviously can introduce additional considerations and challenges. How is the industry preparing to support that? You know, Mike, we have seen over the last, I would say, 10, 15 years already, a super increase in, in the demand of cold chain storage and transport. And this is mainly related to biotech type of products uh, reaching the market. And recent reports show a, a nearly 50% projected growth in global biopharma sales for cold chain products. Mainly this is in the two to eight degrees Celsius type of temperature range. And that will continue at least until the mid of the decade right now. And at the same time frame, cold chain products will grow at approximately twice the rate compared to non-cold chain overall. Another fact I just want to mention, you know, in, in 2020, about 5 billion or nearly 30% of the 
17.5 billion spent uh, on pharmaceutical crew chain went toward packaging costs, so the shippers itself, the shipper boxes, as well as tracking technology and monitoring solutions, merging the temperature during the transport and the storage or any other kind of other type of monitoring. So likewise, um, you know, we have seen this in the data logger increase, which goes in parallel with this. To accommodate uh, the growing cold chain market, Biofarm and their partners need to continue to invest in facility, additional storage and packaging capabilities that really support the secure distribution of these products. And this, I mean, really globally. Long distance, extreme climates, just to mention a few, uh, let's say, characteristics from a logistics provider point of view. You mentioned the technology and the increased investment in data loggers, and I think that really speaks to the growing demand for increased visibility across the supply chain. Can you share just a little bit more about what World Courier has done to provide increased visibility and transparency throughout the supply chain? And I think more recently, even with the development of that control tower in Lithuania. Sure, I'm happy to share a bit uh, insights. The growing demand of, uh, you know, monitoring shipments from A to B, be it on long distance or even short distance, based on the cold chain requirements I mentioned earlier a bit, uh, requires also kind of centralized, concentrated approach. And in this regard, we simply established a control tower. Um, there's a lot of logistics also behind a shipment. Um, for instance, uh, you need to make sure that you have the right data logger at the right time uh, to place into the packaging. You need to monitor during the transport the temperature, as an example, you probably need to monitor even where the shipment is at the moment. So modern data loggers can also tell you the location unless they are not on an airplane in the in the sky. And based on this, you can react and you can potentially work on rerouting or just to give another example, if for whatever reason a shipment is delayed at customs or there's a Weather disruption, like I experienced today in, in Germany, where I live, where in the northern part of Germany, there are no flights at all at the moment because of a heavy storm. You probably have to reroute and you have to find a new solution, bring those products then, for instance, on a, on a truck or on a, on a van and transport this on road just to get the final destination. And such a central tower can monitor this and for all the shipments which are going in parallel. And this is what we established with our control tower in Lithuania. We started there in distributing vaccines in Norway as a starting point, but meanwhile, we have extended this to many more shipments. That's excellent, Jens, and you really hit on it there, just the impact and you know importance of having that as part of a contingency plan and kind of using the data that you're able to pull from that control tower to inform what's needed to make sure the shipment arrives on time and in the right condition. What else goes into a contingency plan and what's needed from the logistics partner to make sure that that shipment does arrive on time? Naya, first and foremost, um, you need a business contingency plan. That is an ultimate uh, request. Uh, just think about disruptions also in the past, whatever it was, a volcano outbreak or these kind of also crazy weather conditions you experience right often in, in North America at the moment. That's number one. Secondly, you need, of course, qualified packaging material. Qualified means uh, be it extreme climate situation where you are, you know, starting on a deep freezing type of country and distributing to the desert in the middle of Africa, as an example. The 
packaging must still keep the temperature. But uh, because this is highly complex overall, you may have to have even kind of uh, stopovers in between where you replenish ice and stuff like that. So in other words, you need to have in every situation and in every country and every location, a kind of a backup scenario in case uh, something happens with your packaging. So that requires a lot of uh, pre-assessments uh, prior to, let's say, critical shipments. And of course, also it, it requires a lot of, let's say, qualified review during your shipments and also, you know, constantly adjusting to the needs. Just going back to the globalization topic, I think you really offer a unique perspective, just given your role overseeing operations in 21 countries. Knowing that regulations can vary country to country, what guidance do you provide manufacturers and how important is it for them to consider that as they're developing their commercialization plan? Not only have, let's say, a good connection to regulatory authorities when it comes to the manufacturing itself and maybe also for the uh, submission and the approval for the product, involve uh, the supply chain partners early on, be it on the production side, uh, be it uh, any kind of contributor in the production cycle in itself, the API provider, whoever is involved into that, but at the same time also, like in our case, transport companies as well. And also talk to those providers because they also have potential regulatory requirements they need to follow or they have the experience to. In the case of um, our company as a transport provider here, we, of course, need to have the knowledge about the uh, customs regulations, as an example. This is utmost important also before you are starting to distribute or ship your products from A to B, that this is uh, clarified upfront. So sit together with all your partners early on and not only think of, let's say, your own connections you have to regulatory authorities. This is risk mitigation as at best. Well, thanks so much, Jens. This was a really fascinating discussion today. And thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. And hopefully we'll speak to you again soon. Thanks, Mike, for inviting me. It was a pleasure on my side as well. For the latest World Courier news and insights, visit worldcourier.com forward slash podcast.